Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 20? And we're going to begin in verse 17 in just a minute to the end of the end of the chapter. On December 1st, 2002, some of you in the front rows weren't born yet, and many of you were. I preached my first sermon as a senior or a lead or, I guess, by that, at that time, a solo pastor, um, other than my time at Northland at the college. My life as an adult since that time has been Sunday after Sunday, week after week, preaching or preparing for Sunday morning sermons. Began here eight years ago in fall of 2015. And I plan and I pray and I hope to do so for many more years to come. If you have been following for a while, you know that I've kind of made a commitment because I'm not that far in the Psalms yet. (laughs) We still got... I think 110 left. I just came off of the longest preaching break I've had from preaching since, and being a senior pastor, seven weeks. I was here for five of those weeks. I heard faithful preaching, preaching that was faithful and biblical and heartfelt and good sermons on prayer answered prayer, prayer that understands the Trinity and its glorious role in prayer, the Word of God in prayer, and the church in prayer, and our vital calling to be intercessors in prayer. During this time of not preaching and not teaching gave me more time. While I was involved in certain meetings and elder meetings and some counseling and some visits, the weight of studying And writing sermons on a weekly basis was lifted, and there was a lot more time for walks and for praying and for listening to sermons and listening to books, fiction and nonfiction, a lot more family time in Wisconsin and Minnesota. Thankful. Just came back from visiting Grace in Minneapolis and Molly's parents. My sermon this morning is more of a a pastoral exercise exhortation to the congregation that began as one sermon and because I felt like it would probably be an hour and a half long sermon and that probably would not be helpful to you, it's going to turn into probably two or probably three sermons. I'm going to break it up into three and I'm going to take part one this morning. Acts chapter 20 is dear to my heart because it is a passage from Paul to pastors or elders as he calls them to this important task. On June 11th, that was the last time I preached here, on June 11th, I I preached to you and I entitled the sermon, Give Yourself to Prayer. And then we heard five other sermons after that on prayer. This morning, I want to say, give yourself to serving Jesus serving the Lord. And I want to read these words of Paul. They're they're from Paul on his last missionary journey, and they're words to a group of elders he called from Ephesus. You'll see this in these, and they are precious words. And they're precious words for the church. They're precious words for elders, the elders in this room. 
some who are gone in preaching this morning. They're, they're important for all people, those that will be elders. Some of you will be elders someday. And for all of the flock who are being eldered, who have been purchased by Christ's blood. So I want to read them. I'm going to give you a command from this passage. Actually, it's threefold, which are probably going to be the three sermons. And the foundation that supports the commands. So let's look at verses 17 through here. I'm going to read this to you if you'd follow along. Uh, You can see it on the screen. I would encourage you to look in your Bibles, Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. This is what Paul This is what Luke records. He was probably with Paul, and that's why he got record of this. Luke wrote Acts, and he says this. Now from Miletus, he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church. Notice he doesn't say the elders from the churches in Ephesus. There was... There were multiple elders in a church and he calls them to come to him because he, had, he is close to them. And when they came to him, he said to them, here's his message. You yourself know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and affliction await await me. But I do not count my life as of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I've received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day, that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay attention, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, And from among you, your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the end of the address. 
Now Luke adds, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Dear God, please help me, help us right now. Most of all, I pray that you would help us to see Jesus and help us to see the glory of serving Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in his name I pray, amen. This is a sermon to pastors who care for this church. This is a sermon for all of us, not just pastors. Paul begins this by giving a lot of testimonies. Do you know that? Paul's like, you remember when I was, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And you remember how I did this, and I did this. I endured, I cried, I cared. Paul's an example, and he calls them to follow his example. This text, like most, if not all, the Bible drips with eternity, with eternal realities. Judgment day is coming. The blood not be on your hands. Repentance, faith, Christ, tears, the whole counsel of God, true blessedness. Friends, I just, I'm reminded Life is so short, and eternity is long, and heaven is more glorious than we could imagine. We sing about it, but we can't even get close to understanding its reality. And hell is far more horrific and horrible than we could ever imagine, and it's real. Satan is a scheming liar seeking to destroy, seeking to tempt, to turn our hearts away from Jesus and his supremely beautiful person, the only true satisfaction of our souls. Salvation is sought by everybody in one form or another. We seek it by trying to accomplish things. We seek salvation in our family. We seek salvation, what I mean by salvation, fulfillment, coming to who I'm meant to be, all of these things, and maybe even making amends for who I am. And yet Jesus is the only Savior, only Jesus saves. And frankly, and I want you to hear this this morning, We all are servants of someone or something. We all serve someone or something. Who are you serving? What are you serving? This is my charge to myself and to our elders, Mike, Jason, who's preaching elsewhere, who will probably watch this later. Lee, who's in the hospital with his dad this morning as they take him off the ventilator to see how he does. And Dan, who's here. And Jay, who's in vacation in Ohio, will watch it later. And the deacons who help us in shepherding, Scott and Brad and Jim and John. And really, all of the congregation, this is a charge to all of us who affirm and support these 
leaders. This is a charge to all members who make covenant vows to one another to care for one another and care for and promote the spiritual prosperity of one another so that we would remain faithful in Christ. This charge is for all of us as disciples of Jesus. And the command of this charge is threefold in which I'm just going to mention it, and then I want, to, I want to focus on the first, and I want you to see an underlining truth that supports all of it, of which we just have law. If I just told you, just do something, and I don't say, but there's good news, this is how you do it. Okay, here's the charge, here's the command. Give yourself to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Daniel... If you got one more year or 40 more years, give your life to serving the Lord. Parents, teenagers, elders and deacons, new members and old members, attenders, young ones, non-Christians, I call you to the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's simple, it's basic. You already knew that that's a command in the Bible that we're supposed to serve the Lord. Paul told us in Romans chapter 12 when he says, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Jesus told us this. He says, you want to know who's great? Did you just see how I washed my disciples' feet? He who's great is the one who's servant of all. So you are to be a servant, but I call you to give yourself to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get baptized... Baptism doesn't save you, but is it a pledge that says Jesus is my Savior? He died on the cross for me, and He's my Lord. He's my boss and my master, and I am now called to follow Him. I desire this morning to woo you into greater service, to recruit you even more so, to follow your King and your Head. I want to argue with you to say you are serving something. You will serve either Satan or self or Jesus Christ. My, if I was to preach one sermon on all of these, I would, my three points, my three commands would be this. Serve Him, number one, serve Him sincerely and with sacrifice. That's this morning. Next week, Give your, serve him by giving yourself, all of you, give yourself to this book and its teaching diligently and give yourself to the gospel proclamation, supporting it here in the church and so understand it and study it and share it with others. It is so necessary and precious. And thirdly, serve Jesus by watching carefully over your own soul, over your own walk with God and over one another, your flock that God has given you to be part of. Watch it over because wolves will come and our hearts cannot be trusted. But two and three are sermons for the next weeks. So my, my sermon this morning command is serve. I, I said, I call you to serve Christ, but to serve sincerely and sacrificially, none of which you are, is not new to you. Paul was a really important disciple of Jesus Christ. He was in a great apostle, called on the road to Damascus as he was going to persecute Christians. God changed his course. He became a super, a type of super apostle. He was he has written so much of the New Testament, and Paul would label himself as 
I'm Paul, a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.1, and you find most of his letters like that. Galatians 1.10, he says, am I seeking to the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I'm trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. So as he writes these, as he talks to these elders, and as I think he would want me to share with you this morning, God would want me to share with you by his spirit. Look at verse 18 and 19 with, with me. Would you look at those verses? This is what he says. You yourselves, elders, you know how I, I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia that's, that's in the Turkey, in Ephesus, serving the Lord. But look at how he says, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials that happened to me through the plotting of the Jews. Paul says, watch my example, because true Christian ministry, true, true Christian living, true Christian loving and following of Jesus is this kind of serving the Lord. It's with a type of sincerity. No one doubted the sincerity of Paul. His service and love to God and to Jesus and to others was real. It was not merely a job that he did, but a calling and a passion. Paul served with all humility. He was a servant of all. He's going to write the Ephesians and he, he had written them, or the Philippians, and he says, he says, Philippians, don't do anything out of selfish ambition, but in humility count others more important or significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And as he writes to them, he says, don't you remember when I was there for all of these years, I served you with all humility. I was an apostle and you saw me roll up my sleeves. And at the end of this passage, he says, I didn't covet any silver and gold. I didn't demand even a salary, even though I could have demanded a salary. Instead, I worked so hard as a tent maker, and I worked so that I could pay for my own needs, and I even gave to the poor, and I worked so hard because I wanted you to see how important this work is. I took on the job of a slave or as a servant so that you would see how important, because this is precious to me. And he says, oh, I hope you see this. I hope you see the type of service you are called to. I listened to last Sunday's sermon. Bruce Dunford preached a great, really helpful sermon on unity. From Ephesians chapter 4, in which he, he call, Paul calls the church to be unified in humility, he calls us to walk. And Paul truly walked that road. Humility is not about going about saying how bad you are. It's not being focused on self at all. The humble service is a type of service that says, it's not about me, it's about someone else. It's not about my rights or about my ways. It's about the object in whom I am here to serve. And we saw that Paul viewed himself not with rights, but with a debt or an obligation. I pray that I would as a pastor, I pray that we as elders and deacons, I pray that you as a member would look at your calling and would say, okay, 
God has helped me along so far, but oh God, help me to renew my service vows to you today. As I go forward, oh help me to serve the Lord Jesus with all humility. Serving in the nursery is about you, not the praise of others. It is about serving these children for the glory of God. It is a glorious task. Serving the Lord by wash, cleaning the nursery, cleaning the bathrooms. What a glorious way in which we can express serving the Lord with all humility. Setting up the chairs, taking care of things around here. Serving the Lord with all humility. You see, the type of service that God is glorified is not by the one who has title, but the one who follows Jesus in this type of humility. I'm thankful that this room is scattered with servants in humility, people who pray and care. This last year, we buried one who, in human terms, was very humble and weak and frail for many, many years, Joy Dibler, and she served us faithfully. She was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ in her prayers and her care. Oh, that we would serve like Paul. Let us serve one another. I, I, I hope that we would go out saying, oh God, how do you want us to serve? And I want you to see Paul serve, it says here, not with just humility, a type of who am I? I don't have rights. I am under obligation instead to, to, to follow the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says here that Paul shows his sincerity by serving with tears. Look at those words. He says, with tears. Verse 31, if you were to read down there, he says, therefore be alert, remember. And he's warning them of the wolves that are coming, even some from among them that could be false teachers or lead people away. He says, don't you remember? I did not cease night or day to admonish you with tears for three years. Let me tell you, that's a lot of crying. Paul says for three years, I was in your lives and that means, and it said earlier, I was publicly teaching you and I was teaching you from house to house. I got into your home and I cared for you and I talked with you and I got to know you personally, you new disciple or elder. And he says, I warned you. I called you to turn away from the idols that you are prone to go for and to serve the living and true God. I, I pled with you to face persecution from the Jews and the Gentiles is better the denying the Lord Jesus Christ because he truly rose from the dead. I warned you of the effects of sin and the beauty of who Jesus is. I warned you and I pled with you and at times I had to come and I, had to, I probably rescued them and called them to obedience. Paul, I've been a pastor for about 22 years now. Pastoring if done right, means crying. For the last 22 years, I've been filled with a lot of tears. Tears with the parents of a 14-year-old Hannah who died in a car crash when the surgeon came in and said she didn't make it. Tears from men who know they're going to die and cancer will not let up. Tears from the doubts and pains of those who long for assurance from God and they don't feel it. 
Tears from members grieving the waywardness of their friends or their children. Tears from spouses because of broken relationships. Tears because of the effects of sin. Because of goodbyes. Because of the pains of life. Because of sin in this broken world. Do you cry? Do you cry because of and with the people in this church? I'd ask you to ask the question, should you, if you don't? And if you don't, why don't you? And could it be not just because maybe you're not a crying type? For some people, it's because we, we can go about our work, we can go about our games, we can go about our school, we can go about our whatever it is, and not pay attention to the suffering and the hurts around us until we actually feel it and we're ready to cry. Paul said he was the type of servant of the Lord that was with all tears as he came into the lives of others. And oh, that God would help us even more so embrace this word and the covenant that we have among ourselves and we would love each other and serve the Lord and serve each other with much tears when they are needed and much rejoicing when they are, like they often are, given to us. Do you cry as a parent? I do. 20 years of parenting has led to 20 years of, of joy and tears. And if you're a parent, you know what I mean. May God help us. May God help us to be this kind of servant that imitates elders. May we be these kinds of elders, deacons, these kinds of deacons, members, Christians, disciples, called to this love of God and neighbor, teenagers, starting right now. You're, you are called to care spiritually about the others in your youth group, those that you'll go on the river trip with. You are to care for those that are surrounding you. This is God's mission to you in service to the Lord. And it's going to mean humility. It's not about me. I'll take shame. I'll take criticism. Because it wasn't about me. Serve him with humility and with tears. And he says, and with trials. Trials from the Jews, he says, as they hounded Paul and tried to make his life miserable because he was saying that Jesus is the Messiah and that he rose from the dead. Paul served with sacrifice. Oh, that God would help us to serve with sacrifice. He says, the trials that happened to me, would you look at verses 22 through 24? These are, are, are heavy, weighty, precious words that every Christian that follows Jesus should take into account. Look what he says in verse 22. Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. Constrained by the Spirit... So the Holy Spirit is, is controlling Paul, and he knows it. But he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. But notice, he says, I don't know what will happen to me there. But he knows something's going to happen there. Because the Holy Spirit, verse 23, testifies to me, he says, in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. I'm going to Jerusalem by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit says, Though I don't know how bad it's going to be, 
it's going to be bad. Now, that just doesn't sound like good service. That doesn't sound encouraging. That doesn't seem something you would want to enlist in. Where does Paul get resilience, strength, ability to be this kind of servant of the Lord? Look at verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Guys, I have to confess as a pastor, as 47 years old, I account my life too much value and my life too precious to myself. My guess is a lot of you do too as well. We're prone to do the opposite of what Paul counted. He was an accountant in a right way and he says, I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself. Not because he thought suffering was a virtue in and of itself or that life wasn't precious or of any kind, but something was far more precious to him. And he says, if only I may finish my course. I've been given a course. That's what this life is about. I've been given a course to go through. I've been given a job, a mission, and ministry. I received it from the Lord Jesus, and that is to testify of the gospel, the good news of the grace of God. And while none of you here are apostles like Paul is, neither am I, and most of you aren't pastors called to preach regularly the gospel from a pulpit, all of us are disciples, and we can take a calling from this passage to say, I believe we are called to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with this kind of sacrifice as we cling to this reality that our mission is to finish the course in the ministry and to care about this gospel of grace spread to other people. I love how John Piper said this many years ago. I listened to an old sermon that he preached in the 80s and he said this, Paul got this understanding, and so must we. Faithfulness is better than life. Faithfulness to God and to the Lord Jesus is better than life. That's what Paul believed and he was convicted. Teenagers, faithfulness is better than life. Being faithful to God is better than popularity from your friends or from, from, from any other person that would come into your life. Paul served and was committed to Christ even though he didn't know what was coming and he knew it probably wasn't good. But he knew someone who was greater, who had called him on a mission and he knew the gospel of grace couldn't be restrained in his mouth and in his life and he was about a mission so much so that he would write to the Philippians and he says, indeed, I count everything as loss. For the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I count everything as loss, and I consider all the things that I once counted valuable and precious and gain, and I count them as nothing that I may gain Christ. He says, it's my eager expectation in chapter 1 to not be ashamed, but that it, with all courage as always, Christ would be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, what kind of person talks that way unless Christ has a restraining, empowering, overwhelming power over a person? Because Paul says that in the same words and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm rejoicing. 
What a life I get to have to testify of the gospel of grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we'll talk about next week. Elders, myself included, serve the Lord this way. Serve the Lord with humility and with tears and with sacrifice. Our lives are of no value compared to the course that God has called us to. Deacons and members, all Christians, serve the Lord with sacrifice and sincerity and humility. Embrace and believe that faithfulness to Christ is better than life. It is an act of faith truly because it doesn't feel comfortable to sacrifice and to surrender comforts and things that we naturally consider precious. Congregation, the world needs Acts 20 Christians. Faithfulness is better than life Christians. Fathers and mothers who raise their kids this way, who show them that faithfulness is better than life. Singles, your status is not for you but for Christ. Leverage it for God's glory. Your energy and your ability to work is for the Lord. Seniors, your retirement is not to go to sleep which is what the word means, at least one of the definitions, or to just cease working, but to serve the Lord in a different kind of way. Parents, your family is to serve the Lord, not the American dream or your childhood or chasing a nostalgic thing. Those are vain things. Lord willing, we'll see and fill this in to say, what, what is this serving the Lord? It's, 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 it's grasping the beauty of this truth of the word in Jesus Christ in the gospel and taking it and sharing it and defending it and protecting and watching over ourselves. That's, that's a life of serving the Lord in this church and in this world. So I want to end with the foundation. If I end there, I think enough came out to say, There's gospel, there's good news. I gave a lot of command. The gospel is news, it's not command. It's it's a declaration of truth and your response to that truth. The good news is always God is glorious and in Jesus Christ, he comes and brings people who like us are not glorious. Instead, we are so messed up in our sin and he brings us into his family, rescues us, transforms us, loves us, never lets us go and forever. And he all does that in Jesus Christ, his son. I wanna, if, if the command is the tree, with branches of fruit of service to God, laying down your life, preaching the gospel, serving one another in the church, where, where's the roots that can support that tree? Where, where's the roots that will actually bring nourishment so that the tree just doesn't fall apart after one exciting sermon and you go determine to serve the Lord and then you find it's hard and you give up? The only way is to, the only way is to understand this. You have been served. In Acts 17, when Paul says, comes to the people in Athens, and he says in verses, where is it? In verses 24 and 25, he said, God made the world and everything in it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples made by man. Listen to this. 
nor is this God served by human hands as though he needs anything. Wow, that seems contradictory. Paul says he serves the Lord. Here it says he cannot be served by human hands. So what is it? And the the point is, he's saying God doesn't need our service. It's not like he ever goes, boy, I need them or else what am I going to do? Not at all. Our service to him is the reality of our response to him serving us first and foremost. You see, the only people that can truly serve the Lord Jesus Christ are those that, who have been gripped by his grace and know that Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In this passage, the elders reflect on the reality I'm supposed to serve and sacrifice just like my mentor Paul did to me. He, he cried. I just remember when he was in my home and he cried and he wept and he pled with me to follow Jesus Christ. And oh, the type, the things that we've gone through and he loved me this way. How much more does the Lord Jesus Christ love me? You see, Paul had been arrested on the way to a place where he was going to arrest Christians. He was arrested by the power of Jesus, and it changed everything. And he was able to say in letter after letter things like this, I thank God who gives me strength. Christ Jesus is my Lord because he judged me faithful, and he appointed me to this service. I'm called to service. You're called to service. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor, and I was an insolent opponent of Jesus. But I received mercy in my ignorant unbelief and the grace of God overflowed to me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Friends, the way we serve, the way you serve your children, the way you serve your friends in the youth group, the way you will serve your co-workers this week. The way you'll serve fellow members in this congregation, pastors and elders and deacons, the way you'll serve the congregation here is to so deeply drink of the refreshment, the nourishments of God's love in serving us through Jesus Christ. Jesus was crucified so that we would have life. He took on death so that we would be his. Acts 20.28, we'll be there in a couple weeks especially. Acts 20.28, it's one of my favorite verses as a pastor. He says, elders, watch over the flock, but first watch over yourself. But then he describes the flock and he says, the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Who is Paul talking to? He's talking to the elders. Who are they watching over? The flock. That's you and me. All who have received the gospel message, who have repented of their sins. And if you're here this morning, and if you've not turned away to look to Jesus Christ, I call you to repent of your sins, believe in him, and you will become his disciple. He comes in you, he transforms you, and he makes you his own and you become his flock, and you're purchased by the blood of Jesus 
Christ, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but were justified by his grace through his gift, through his son, who put forth his, this a propitiation, a substitution by his blood that is received by our trusting in him. This passage calls you to service. It calls you to humble, lowly, slave-like, sacrificial, not counting your life as precious servitude to one another today, this morning, this afternoon as you drive home. It calls you to that. In your life groups, talk about what does that mean? What does that practically mean? And how do I get the strength to do that? I got to look to Jesus Christ. I, I need to be so continually looking to how much he has loved. I forgive because he forgives me. I give because he's given to me. I can't outgive him and I'll enjoy his abundance forever. Paul knew that the best was yet to come and he was able to say, this life is not precious because the one that's really precious is to come. And it's actually not a life other than connected to Jesus Christ who is my treasure. I want to end with a, some, the final words of one of my favorite preachers, you've heard me quote him many, year, many times, it's Charles Spurgeon. He's known as maybe one of the best, maybe the best preacher that ever preached in the English language. He preached for over 40 years. He died at a very young age in his 50s. He, I don't think he knew he was going to preach his last sermon on this June 7th, 18, 1891. He was preaching on David, and at the end of his sermon, this is the last paragraph of all his pulpit ministry. He said these words, and I think they fit this sermon. It is heaven to serve Jesus. I'm a recruiting sergeant, and I would fain find a few recruits at this moment. Every man or woman must serve somebody. We have no choice as to that fact, those who have no master are slaves to themselves. Depend on it. You are either serve Satan or Christ, either self or the Savior. You will find sin, self, Satan, and the word, the world to be hard masters. But if you wear the livery of Christ, that's that's the the costume, the, the, the uniform of Christ's servitude, you will find him so meek and so lowly of heart that you will find rest for your souls. He is the most magnanimous of captains. There never was like amongst the choices of princes. He is always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. The heaviest end of the cross lies on his shoulders. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. If there is anything that is gracious, generous, kind, and tender, yea, lavish, and super abundant in love, you always find it in him. These 40 years and more have I served him. Blessed be his name. And I have had nothing but love from him. I would be glad to continue yet another 40 years in the same dear service here below if it so pleased him. His service is life, peace, joy. Oh, 
that you would enter on it at once. God, help you enlist under the banner of Jesus, even this day. Amen. Father, I pray that you would please uh, renew my strength, my commitment as a pastor to Acts 20 type of pastoral ministry. I pray that you'd help our deacons and elders, our members, because all of us are called to this. I pray that it would happen among the church and in the youth group. I pray that it would happen at work. I pray that it would happen in our neighborhoods, businesses, and schools. I pray that it would be branches that go high and fruitful, wide, because they're deeply rooted in the love of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would be a people that would love Christ so much. Heaven is Christ. Pain with Christ is bearable. In fact, it displays him. Oh God, help us to that, we pray. Now God, I pray that this song that we sing Yet not I, but through Christ in me, would be a song of declaring to you, but also singing to each other the truth of who you are and what we've been called to. I pray that we would minister to each other as we sing this song, and you would be pleased. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen.